Well, we are, uh, we are a blessed people um, to have uh, Ethan and all of our musicians. Wasn't it good to see, uh, to hear Benny and Cindy uh, this morning? Man, I had no idea uh, that Benny could play the way he did. And, and for those of us that were sitting over here, you good shot of his hands this morning, the passion that he drove into those keys this morning. Um, you know, everywhere we look around, uh, we could just say God is good on, on every turn, you know. And I love the line in that hymn that we just sang, um, talking about uh, if the oceans were filled with ink and every stalk on the earth was a, a, a quill. There, we don't use that word very much anymore. Uh, the skies were a parchment made that, you know, we'd drain the ocean dry, uh, trying to sing of the the love and the glory of our God. And so I, I think it's good for us just to, uh, to acknowledge that uh, with words sometimes. Well, tonight uh, we will dive right back in uh, to this, uh, this passage that we were in this morning. Uh, didn't get very far, and uh, tonight we will, we will finish up. We'll stay as long as it takes to finish up, all right? So just, just get comfortable. I really don't think we're going to be that long, but, uh, but this is a very important passage for us to be in. Um, <clears throat> before I start, though, and, and we'll, we'll read it again, this is one where we talk about uh, the sower sowing the word. And it's something that I do uh, week in and week out um, at least three different times here. Uh, I'm now teaching the youth on Wednesday nights. As soon as I finish here, I run over there, teach the youth. Um, you know, I'm teaching uh, every about every other week out at Good News Club. And, uh, and I know as a preacher... Uh, what it's like to sow the seed. And, uh, and Wallace knows this from, from many years of preaching. You sow it, and, and you can tell some places it is landing, and it is, it's landing on good soil. But then you look out at other places, and you think, that's not getting anywhere. <laughs> uh, you look out there, and you see people that are, that are falling asleep, and some of them are beyond falling asleep. They have fell asleep. And... Uh, and then sometimes those are the very ones who will come to you after the service and say, boy, that just really touched my heart. Thank you for that message. I'm thinking, boy, you dreamed something. You know, God spoke to you in a dream. But, uh, you know, all of us, you may not stand like I do week in, week out, multiple times during the week teaching. But all of us, hopefully, are sharing our faith. And sometimes you have that experience where you know that you're sharing and the person is just receptive. And boy, it's just easy. It's just like God has prepared the way, and he has. But other times, it's like hitting a brick wall. Uh, they're obstinate to it. They don't want to hear it. Or they have so many questions that they can't understand the simplicity of the gospel or something like that. Well, I, I think that's the reason that Jesus tells us this parable. I think he wants us to know that as we sow the gospel... We're going, to, we're going to encounter multiple reactions. We're going to come across multiple things, multiple ways that people are going to be uh, receptive or not receptive. And he wants us to know, I think, more than anything else, that the results are not up to us. And uh, we're going to see this as we go through this passage. But I can stand before you tonight and every week and preach confidently knowing that as I preach the Word of God, that... God will do the work of taking the seed and putting the roots down, nurturing it, and seeing it come to fruit in people's lives. I've watched it 
all these years in ministry. I watched it in my own life as, as I sat there as a child growing up and counting the lights in the sanctuary and, you know, wondering how long this thing was going to be. And, and uh, you know, who would have ever guessed that, that those, those seeds that were sown would have really taken hold and, and, and grown in my life. But that's how God does it, through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, plants in us His Word and brings fruit about. So, uh, unless I go any further, let's just dive right in to the text. The, uh, I won't read the whole parable again. Um, Jesus speaks this parable to the crowd. And then in verse 10, let's pick it up there and we'll go through verse 20. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, uh, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. And they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. We, we come to this text and I explained to you this morning that Jesus goes back out and teaches even though everyone thinks he's crazy or demon-possessed, um, he, he begins to teach to the crowds from this point forward in nothing but parables because it is a judgment. They've gone too far in their rejection. He tells us to listen. And again, I hope as we read through that, that you heard how many times he said, listen, these are the ones who heard the word. And he, he went on and explained and how we should listen. We explained this morning, the, the sower is referring to Jesus, but it could also refer to anyone who faithfully preaches the word or who faithfully shares the gospel and sows, sows gospel seeds. The seed is simply the word, that it is, it is the Bible, it is scripture. We also looked at the fact this morning that Jesus is the seed. He is the sower. He's the one who prepares the soil of the human heart. And when we talk about the human heart, Really, we're talking about the mind of the person uh, being broken, broken up, and being prepared to receive the seed. But he's the seed who was cast to the ground and died uh, so that new life might come, and fruit might, might come from that. And you and I, if we are in Christ tonight, we are part of that fruit. So tonight, all we have left to do is to examine the soils. Uh, we have to do a little soil analysis tonight. And uh, there are four here that we need to look at. And so let's jump right in at verse 15. The first soil that we need to look at tonight is the one that's the path. It's the soil that uh, that is hard. 
in those days, in that, in, in that particular economy, the fields were not fenced. They didn't have fences. They didn't have any way to kind of mark off their fences other than these paths. The paths were, were cut through the fields and they, they went along the borders of the field. And it was how people uh, traversed across these fields. If you'll remember, Jesus was walking through the field with his disciples and they reached out and they took a handful of grain. And you remember the, the Pharisees accused them of breaking the Sabbath because they were, they were harvesting on the Sabbath. And when, when uh, the law made provision for them to do so, but they were walking on those paths and those paths as, as people would walk on them and as animals would walk on them, it would become very, very, very hard. Uh, it would just become packed and hard and, uh, and, and, uh, very, uh, very hard to get anything to grow in that area. Uh, they become as hard as concrete. And when the seed, as the farmer is, is going through, the sower is going through the field and he's casting the seed and he's got his seed pouch and he's casting the seed, some of those seeds, as he walks through, will find their way over to the path. If that path is like concrete beaten down from all that foot traffic many, many years, as well as the hot um, Galilean sun or the, or the Palestinian sun beating down on uh, those paths, it would, it would bake them and they would become extremely hard like concrete. When those seeds would fly over there and hit the paths, they would simply bounce around on the top and find a resting place. And then what farmer doesn't know how pesky birds can be? Those birds would fly around and they would watch the sower as he sowed. And uh, the ones that would go into the soft Fertile, good soil were, were not that easily to, easy to get to, but they would hug these paths and they would fly in on these paths and they would just pick off this seed and eat it and then fly away. And Jesus here gives us that picture and he says that, uh, that the sower has sown the seed and it goes out onto the path, stays on top and the birds fly in and eat it before it has a chance to take root. And then he explains though, he Look at verse 15. He explains that the ones sown on the path are the ones uh, that when they hear the word, uh, let me find my place. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Uh, they, they, these are the people who, when they hear the word time after time after time, they have become so hard, so beaten down, so compacted by sin in their life that the word simply doesn't penetrate. Um, this particular image, as Jesus is telling this story, this parable, he's teaching, if you'll remember, he's teaching from the field. In fact, he's gotten out, out in a boat down at the shoreline and pushed off from the shore. And around him, it was common in that day, and all around those, those lands right around the shore and up through the hills, that, that was, those were the fields. That's where they farmed. And so probably, as Jesus is telling this story, the people, the crowd can look around and maybe even see this going on. I mean, I, it's an amazing thought that as Jesus is teaching, that he's possibly using what's going on right beside them. He possibly is saying, it's like a man who sows... Falls on the path and the bird flies in and takes it. And just about that time, a bird maybe flies in and picks up a seed that has just left the hand of the sower. And there are some 
who have become as hard as that path. They sit in our services every single week. They come under the preaching of God's word, but they have hardened their heart to it. And, uh, and maybe they go out from this place and their heart, their mind is like uh, those fields in that day. And they are left unfenced. They are left unguarded. And sin has free reign to walk all over their life. And they've just become trampled down and hard. And so when a preacher stands and preaches the word of God or when you in your workplace or to a neighbor across the street share the gospel with them, it never has the opportunity to penetrate their hard heart. Satan comes and he steals it away. Now, what does that mean? It simply means this, that possibly every week, maybe some weeks that goes by without it, but I think there are probably most every week as we preach faithfully the word of God, there are people who come in that are in this condition and they hear what's said and it begins to make sense to them. And just as they begin to consider it, it's time for us to leave. They walk out of this place and all of a sudden somebody says, well, what are we doing for lunch? You know, and they go to their car and, uh, and, and they can't get in the car fast enough. Maybe, maybe somebody's messed with something and, and it's just little distractions here and there. They can't find their keys. Where's my keys? And all of a sudden they go from thinking about the truth they've just heard and possibly considering it to Satan has come in and snatched it away just like that. That's why, and, I, and you need to know this, because I understand that at the end of the service, when we have you sit for 30 seconds or so and just reflect on what we've seen, that's the reason why we do that. It's intentional because we don't want to simply hurry through that invitation. We want you to process it. We want you to think about what the Word of God has said to you, what it requires of you. We want you to... to think about it and say, what does this mean for my life? And then we enter into a time of public response, which I was so encouraged this morning to see so many people just flood to respond, uh, not to the preacher, but to the message or to life situation and the grace of God in those things calling out to God. But we, we intentionally have you sit and think about those things. Now, whether you do or not, we, we don't have any control over that. You may be sitting there like I was as a child saying, hmm, one, two, three, you know, whatever. But we're trying to be intentional in that. So Jesus says, there are those like the path. Secondly, there's the group. They're the ones sown on rocky ground. Verses 16 and 17. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who... When they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. The ones sown on rocky ground. Well, just as they were left unfenced, the fields in this region were incredibly rocky as well. Uh, And we're not talking about small rocks here. We're talking about bedrock. We're talking about limestone. If you've ever been over to the Middle East, and I never have, I I would love to go one day, but some of the rockiest ground on the planet is there. In fact, uh, John MacArthur, as I was studying this week, he pointed out that some of the rabbis used to say that when God was, was, uh, was putting the rocks in place on the planet, he, he made a mistake and dumped all of them in Israel. And uh, so the ground was incredibly rocky. 
And it wasn't those small rocks. It was a just under the surface, just a few inches under the surface of that soil. It was a bedrock of limestone. And what would happen is in these places, in this rocky ground, uh, the seed would, would fall on these. It would go down into the soil and, and, uh, and suddenly, very quickly, the sun would hit it and the moisture would be there and it would cause it to spring up. And it would come up pretty rapidly. And it would, it would come up and look like you'd think, wow, this is going to be good. This is going to be a, a good piece of, of land here, good crop here. But all of a sudden, the sun in the afternoon would cause it to be scorched. Why? Because there was no root. As, as the sun came up and got hotter, those roots tried to go down deeper and tried to find the moisture in the ground, and all they hit was bedrock. There was nowhere for them to go, and they had no root and no water, and the sun scorched them and they died. Well, in the same way, we see this in the church. You know, we see this sometimes with people that you share the gospel with. They immediately receive it with joy, the Bible says. They receive it in an emotional way. After 15 years in, in youth ministry and working with students, uh, I know how often um, emotion is used to manipulate teenagers into making decisions. Um, I confess, and I've confessed it to God, that I had done it before. Not intentionally. I had done what I had seen others do. But there are so many, so many times, and it's not just in youth ministry, it's in churches week in and week out, where the lights dim and, and, and the, the preacher begins to speak emotionally and all those sort of things. And we try to guard against that here. But you can talk people into something. And there are some that spring up quickly with joy and they are moved with emotion. There's nothing wrong with God having our emotions. He should. But these are the ones who their profession of faith is solely on emotion. And I remember all those times in student ministry, I would have people come to me and say, um, I, I'm, I'm just, I don't think I knew what I was doing. I remember when I was a kid, I, I walked the aisle, I, I took the pastor by the hand and we talked and he prayed with me and I filled out a card and then I was baptized but I don't think I ever really understood what I was doing. I think I was really responding emotionally. I've seen it in camps where, uh, you know, that's youth ministry. Camp is great. Camp can, you can see God do some incredible things in camp ministry. How many of you have ever gone either as a youth or as a chaperone or anything like that to a youth or a children's camp? All right. God can move in, in good ways, right? Uh, but it's, a, it's also a greenhouse for emotionalism as well. And you have about, you know, Wednesday night or Thursday night of youth camp and everybody and their dogs getting saved, you know. And, I mean, everybody's spilling their guts about this and that. And we're going to love each other forever. And, and all, the, all the, you know, um, friends are friends forever, Michael W. Smith and all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's all emotion. And that's what we're talking about here. He's talking about these that hear the message and they are moved emotionally and they spring up quickly, but then it goes nowhere. And all of us have seen that in the church. We say someone comes in, they get on fire, but before long, you don't see them anymore. You say, well, where's so-and-so? They, well, they were so on fire there for a while. They, I remember they came and 
boy, it was so emotional. And, and, uh, and they were just incredibly hot for God. Well, the Bible here says, look at what it says in verse 16. They receive it with joy in verse 17. Uh, they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. They fall away when tribulation or persecution comes. And tribulation is the same thing. It's affliction. It's, it's, it's when hard things come. Persecution is when someone is, is, uh, is ridiculing you or treating you in a vulgar or a vile way because of your faith. Some things just seem to happen. Some things are brought on because you're living for the Lord. But when those things begin to happen, if there's no true repentance, if there's no true faith in Christ alone to save them, then they will fall away. And let me just go off on a side note here. This is why the health and wealth gospel is so deadly. This prosperity gospel that you see rampant on the television that you see sweeping bookstores across our nation. These preachers that stand up and promise that if you'll come to Christ, He will give you what you want and He will make your life wonderful and He will protect you from any harm. He wants you to be highly favored. Well, the problem with that is Jesus said things like, if they hated me, they're going to hate you all the more. And when he, when he turned and looked at the crowd and, and when he was making a reference there to, to the Lord's Supper and he said, if you want to come after me, you, you have to eat my flesh. What he was saying is, is, you have to follow me. Where my flesh goes, then you're going to have to go. Where did his flesh go? His flesh went to the cross. He said, take up your cross and follow me. And that is the opposite of the prosperity gospel. It is a damning, deadly, non-gospel. The prosperity gospel that says, and I, I oftentimes joke about this, and there's been some people that have joked with me about this, but there's, there's people that out there, one particular guy that's written books and, and preaches to thousands of people, and you know his, his book, uh, Your Best Life Now, uh, there's, there's, he's written another one here lately. Uh, I have nothing against him, but his message is so dangerous. His message is so dangerous because he, that message will convince people that they're okay. And they will spend all of their lives not trusting in the gospel, but thinking that they're okay. And they'll get to the end of their life and they'll be like the ones who said, but Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? And didn't we do many good things in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me for I never knew you. That's the dangerous side to that gospel, to that message. We come to Christ knowing that we come laying our life down. The problem is I think a lot of people have come to Christ, but they've never laid their life down. They want to hold on to their life. The Bible teaches that you can't. That your life is no longer your own. Um... So those are the ones who, who are sown on rocky ground. And then there are those who are sown among the thorns. Look at verses 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. 
They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world are, and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Um, oftentimes, in that day, when they would prepare the field, uh, one commentator pointed out that they would, they would burn off sections of the field. They, they would burn away the, what, the vegetation that was growing there. And oftentimes these weeds or these thorns would be burned away. And it would take them down to the ground. And when the sower then would come out to sow, he would sow. And where the seed would fall, it would oftentimes fall where just underneath the surface, the roots of those thorns and those weeds were still alive. All of us have at some point weeded the garden, right? How important is it to not break off the top? It's dire, right? If you're simply going to break off the top, I remember as a kid being out in, in, the, uh, in the flower beds, you know, with mom and dad and, and reaching down and breaking off the top and them saying, no, 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 don't, don't do it that way. You know, you got to reach down in there and you've got to pull the whole thing. And it was beautiful when the whole thing, the root would just slide right out of the earth. When you get the root, you get the whole thing. Well, the picture here is that they're sowing on a place where the top has been burned off. But just under the surface is the root of this weed and this thorn. Um, It would take care of the surface, but the problem was still underneath. Um, there are people in our churches that we preach to, that we share the gospel with, um, that are like this. The seed lands, but as the seed begins to grow, so do the thorns, the weeds, and it eventually chokes out the good seed. The people that receive this word, that hear this word, they hear it, it makes sense to them, they, they, um, they make a decision, they make a response, they live for all the right things for a while. They, they come to Bible study. They would affirm what we say, we, you know, that we believe. They're the ones who oftentimes would say, amen. And they, they would look in every way like everything was fine. But notice here that it says, Jesus here explains that um, in verse 19... The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. They receive it, but they receive it with only half of their heart. The other half still belongs to the cares of this world. The other half of their heart still belongs to the deceitfulness of riches or the desire for other things. Uh, I want to recommend highly to you a book. Some of you have already read this book, but it is David Platt's Radical. Uh, anybody read that book in here? A few of you have. I see a few hands go up. I would highly recommend that you read Radical by David Platt. Uh, David Platt is a pastor at the church at Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, that particular church, he wasn't the pastor there then, but that was the church where God showed me beyond any shadow of a doubt, that he had indeed called me to the ministry. And that's where Lana and I decided to go from there to seminary and remain. I, we were ready to walk out of the ministry. And that particular church was where God spoke to me. 
in an incredible way. But David Platt's the pastor there now, and this book is incredible. This book is what they are doing. David Platt is just a man. That church is just a church. But what they are doing is amazing. You know why it's so amazing? Because they're taking Scripture and they're applying it to their lives. And they're applying it to the life of their church. They are making radical sacrifices to follow Christ. They had just amazing, amazing stories. Um, I don't remember the exact figure, but they had somewhere uh, two or $300,000 in surplus in, in, in a bank account somewhere. It might have even been, I think it might have been 500000 or so, half a million bucks, something like that. So 500000 it's like 526000 to be exact, I guess. I don't know. But in that... David became convicted that why are we saving this money? And he had always been said, well, well, we're saving it for a rainy day. And uh, David began to research and he found that India um, is the poorest place on the planet. I think it's like 40% of the the globe, uh, 40% of the planet's um, poverty, impoverished, live in India. And uh, they don't have the gospel. They don't have food. They don't have water. They don't, they don't have the things that you and I have. They need the gospel, but they need these other things as well. And so he had this $526,000 or so, and, and uh, he thought, well, you know, I don't, I don't really know what we're saving it for. What could we do with that? And he worked through, it was either Compassion International or one of those organizations, and he went to them and he said, what are you all doing in India? Well, what we're trying to do is we're trying to build these centers all over India where mothers and children can come and receive food and water and, and, um, and medical treatment and education as well as the gospel. Well, how many do you need to build? Well, we need to build, I think it was 26 um, of these centers. Well, how much does it cost to build each center? Well, it costs 25000 or 20,000, something like that. Anyway, the math comes out to that it was right at the number that it needed to, to build to build one to cover all of India was the exact amount, give or take, that they had sitting for a rainy day. And he went back to his congregation and he said to them, it's raining in India. It's raining in India. It's one of my favorite Favorite lines in the book. It's raining in India. And the church unanimously voted to take the $526,000 and give it to, let's say compassion. It might not be compassion, but they gave it to them to build these centers and they took India for Christ. Another thing they did, and I, you know, I don't want to make it all about them, but in Birmingham, and in, in, I think it's Jefferson County there in Alabama. I think it's Jefferson County, Birmingham. Um, they went to the uh, Department of Child Services, and, and uh, they wanted to do something about all the orphans in the county. And they said, if, we were going, if you were going to put every child that you know of that's in your care, that, that, that needs a home, into a home, how many homes would it take? And uh, they just laughed, and they said, "Well, it would be somewhere probably around 150 or so, but uh, but that's just that that's just impossible. That there's no way that could happen." Well, 
He said, well, let, let me just work on it. Let's, let's see what we can come up with, and let's just pray about it. He went back to his church, and he shared that with them, and they planned to do an informational meeting or a commitment to sign up to foster these children in this system. And the, they prayed about it, and the, the night of the meeting, they had 160-something families show up from their congregation that said, we're ready to take a child now. And they took all of the orphans in the county there in Birmingham and put them in homes immediately. That's so radical, so different than what we are doing, not just Abner Creek, but most churches in America, particularly in the South, that's so different than what we are doing. What we've done is we've come and we've taken the gospel and we've, we've taken what it means to follow Christ and we've held it out here, but we've also added all of these other things. We want to hold on to, um, to all of our stuff. And our stuff winds up pushing out some of the things that God's calling us to do. And Jesus here talks about the ones who are sown among the thorns. And he says that they come up, they look good, they, they seem to be following the Lord. But before long, what they realize is there's a whole lot of other things that they'd like to do and like to have. The cares of the world, the pursuit of stuff and things. And the, they wind up walking away from the church and walking away from serving the Lord to go after these things. And in, in doing so, they prove that they were never in Christ to begin with. And Jesus himself said that you can't serve both God and money. He said you can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other, but you can't serve two. And Jesus here says that there are those that we will encounter as we sow the gospel that will be, that they're going to be divided. They're going to care about the things of this world. Uh, I want you to notice that in all three of these particular soils that we've analyzed here in this parable, that all three of these were unfruitful. One never even got a chance to put down roots. One, the roots went down but couldn't go any further. These put down some roots, but hey, before long they were choked out with the thorns. But none of them came to the point of producing fruit until we get to this last group. In verse 20, they are the ones sown on good soil. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirty-fold and sixty-fold and a hundred-fold. This is the soil that has been prepared. It's been broken up. It's had the rocks and the debris removed. It's had the weeds removed, not just on the surface, but at the root. The seeds that fell here, they took root. They grew and they wound, they wound up producing fruit. Now, you and I can't do anything to prepare the soil. We simply have to sow the seed. It's up to God to prepare the soil or the heart or the mind of those listeners. But here the seed falls on those that are ready. And praise God that there are people like this as well. Their hearts have been prepared. They, they hear the word and they receive it. It puts down deep and lasting roots and it goes on to bear fruit. Um, don't want to embarrass him, but... Uh, Ethan's sitting over here tonight. Ethan is, is a young man, and I would call him a young man. Um, 
Ethan's grown up in the church. Ethan grew up under the teaching of God's Word. He grew up with godly parents who pointed him toward the Lord. He grew up in children's ministry and youth ministries that that taught him the Word and pointed him to the Lord. And today, he's here not because of some innate ability, but he's here leading us in worship because all through those years, the Lord sowed good seed into the good soil of his life. And it's come to fruit. Uh, We talked to his mom last night, and his mom said, well, it just does a mom's heart good to know that there are people here that look after him and take care of him. But I've I've watched Ethan uh, over the past several years, and I've seen him transform. I've seen him grow. And that's not a process that started four years ago. That's a process that started way, way, way back when his parents took him to church and he began to sit under the preaching of God's Word. There will be people like that as well. But as oftentimes Jesus did in these parables, he often put in a shocking element. Up to this point, there's nothing shocking in this story. They're looking around and they're potentially seeing this process take place around them. There's nothing shocking about it. They know at this point that, yes, some seed falls on the path, the birds come in and eat it. Some of it falls on shallow soil and it reaches the bedrock, has no root, it's going to die. Some of it's going to fall on places and thorns and weeds are going to grow up with it and choke it out. And some of it's going to land on good soil and it's going to grow and it's going to produce fruit. But here's the shocking element. Jesus says to them, some produced 30-fold, some produced 60-fold, and some 100-fold. At this point, their jaws would have dropped. At this point, some of them might have tuned out. Because they wouldn't have ever heard anything like this. In the research that I did, uh, sevenfold or, or, uh, or seven and a half fold to tenfold was about the biggest crop that really they ever really experienced. This would have been an incredible bumper crop. This would have been huge. An incredibly shocking statement. It's meant to show that the work of regeneration or salvation is the work of God alone. These results could not be explained any other way. In fact, I would say to you, any time that anybody gets saved, it can't be explained any other way. But as, as his listeners are listening to this, he wants them to understand. I mean, think about who's in the room. Peter's in the room. John and James, and there's others that are there in the room. And up to this point, they're probably thinking, you know, yes, there's huge crowds coming, but they're only coming for the miracles. They're only coming to be fed Jesus, aren't you supposed to be the Messiah? Aren't you supposed to be the one who is promised? How come this thing is not really producing real followers who are really taking this thing and following you like we're following you? In fact, Peter said to Jesus at one point, where else would we go? For you alone, we've become convinced that you alone are the Christ. You have the words of life and we follow you. And I think in their minds and their hearts, they couldn't understand why others couldn't see it. But Jesus, on this day, wants them to understand that it's not about your delivery. 
It's not about the way you dress. It's not about who leads worship for you. It's not about the style of the music that you have. It's not about your lighting or your screens or your parking lot or your building or any of those other things. Jesus wants them to understand that what is going to happen is going to be supernatural. And only he will get the credit for this. And their responsibility is to go out and sow the word. Just go out and sow the word. Just preach the gospel. And maybe it hit them. Maybe they understood. But I think maybe when they left this room, I think maybe they still were saying, but Jesus, that's not happening. And then there came a day after Jesus was crucified. He was placed in a tomb and he was raised from the dead. He stayed with them for several days. He went to heaven. He gave them instructions. Wait here. And when the Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses. And one day, Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon. He preaches all about this one who was promised in the Old Testament. And he came and he lived a perfect life and he was nailed to a tree. In fact, you all crucified him. You nailed him to a tree. You placed him in a tomb, but he was raised from the dead on the third day. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he called for those people who he's preaching to, to repent. He sows the word to them and he calls for them to repent and believe. The Bible says that on that day, 3,000 people came to know the Lord. And this little ragtag bunch of disciples, these fishermen and tax collectors and, and zealots, had not seen anything like this. But all of a sudden, in one afternoon, the church was born. And a week later, the 3,000, 5,000 are added to them. And within a month, there's about 20,000 people that have come to know the Lord and that are truly following the Lord. That are not coming just for the miracles. They're not coming just to be fed. They're not coming because of what's been promised them. They're not coming for health and wealth, but they're coming because He is the Christ. And they had become convinced of it. And Peter probably stood back at one point and said, I got it. Jesus, I got it. I understand. I'm just going to sow the word. And I think the point for us is the same. Yes, I'm the preacher who stands here and preaches. But you are the preacher in your sphere of influence. You are the preacher where you work and play and live. And as you go, and as you do what we're commanded to do, you will find all sorts of mixed results. I remember a few years ago, I was on the streets of Columbia after the convention and um, was with a, a pastor friend, Daniel Godfrey, who's a pastor in Spartanburg. And uh, Daniel saw a guy walking down the street and uh, the guy was dressed all in black and had all sorts of markings and all this sort of thing. Um, and he's got, he's got uh, earbuds in or an iPhone in and he's just, he's just walking. He's just by himself. And Daniel's the boldest witness I've ever seen. Daniel is this, I don't know, if you, anybody know Daniel? Uh, he's just this country, skinny guy that just grew up and, and just loves the Lord and will, will share the gospel with anybody. Well, here he comes, and Daniel, he walks up to him and says, Hey, buddy. 
have you ever heard about the Lord Jesus Christ? And the guy just threw down and began to shout obscenities and cuss words and everything else at Daniel. And Daniel said, oh, okay, okay. And he, back, he backed off. And it was, it was funny, but it illustrates what we're talking about here, that you are going to experience all sorts of results as you share the gospel. But the reality is, That as we share, as we faithfully share the word of God and the gospel, Jesus is doing a work that you and I can never take the credit for. He is building a church. He is redeeming a people that will one day gather around his throne and worship him for all of eternity. We will join in with saints from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. And we will join in with the angels and we will sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I would encourage you this morning, tonight, as you go out, to go out saying, the pressure's not on me. All I've got to do is share. All I've got to do is tell. All I've got to do is take the word of God, the gospel as it's revealed, and just tell people and leave the results to him. He will produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, and he will alone get the glory. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, tonight I pray, God, that you would give us boldness. God, I pray that, Lord, that you would go before us and, God, that you would plow up the hard ground. God, help us to understand this parable. God, help us to understand our role in it and to trust you to fulfill your role in it. God, that we would go out of this place as sowers. That verse 14 would be true of us. The sower went out to sow. God, I pray that someone would call us a sower this week. Lord, I pray that it would be for your glory and your glory alone. God, this is not about us making a name for ourselves. We will not build a tower of Babel here. Lord, I pray that they would see you. God, plow up the hardness Get rid of the thorns. God, I pray that you would cause the seed to fall on good soil. And God, that we would see people come into the kingdom of God. And God, that we would trust you and give you the glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good night.